So we are about to start a new teaching series, but also in addition to the new teaching series, we're kind of entering a new season in the Life of Grace Bible Church, and so our media team has put together a video to introduce you to uh, what's next at Grace Bible Church. You guys start that video? Out of infinite power, wisdom, and love, God created men and women to know Him, to enjoy Him, to reflect His beauty on earth. He created us in His own image so that we could spread His glory throughout all of creation. Even when we rebelled and ran from God, He loved us and He pursued us. He sent His own Son, Jesus, to become one of us, to die for our sins and rise from the dead. And because of Him, we have life as a free gift. This is the story of God's grace in Jesus Christ. He brings dead hearts to life, transforms relationships, cities, and nations. He brings order from chaos, hope from despair, purpose from confusion. The grace of God in Christ changes everything. This is the story of God's grace, and it is also the story of Grace Bible Church. For more than 50 years, Grace Bible Church has devoted itself to helping people find and follow Jesus in our community and throughout the world. Coming to an understanding that people will excel in every way in life when they have the freedom and knowledge that they are loved no matter what is an incredible gift. The examples that have gone before us, the elders that I served with, starting in the 80s, and the men that taught the Sunday school classes and into their 80s laid out a foundation for an example of, we're here to serve until the day we die. What changes our life is seeing other people's lives changed. That, That turned our life upside down. God's Word teaches us to live with eternal significance and motivates us to give our lives to others just as Christ gave His life for us. Since our small church family first met, Grace has sought to accurately teach scripture and humbly live out the commandments that Jesus has given us. Our sermons have over 50,000 views in more than 150 countries. Our Bible studies are used by thousands of people around the world. This is an ongoing testament to the world's hunger for the Word of God. Coming into college, I was looking to find out who I was, not find out who God was at all. I had stopped allowing myself to feel and to be known by other people just because I felt like no one really saw me and no one really understood. Uh, I actually came to Christ during worship here at Grace. He came and he found me in my brokenness and he told me that I have intrinsic worth and that he loves me so much that he um, sent down his one and only son and that he came down himself. 70,000 students now attend Texas A&M and Mumbling College, students who will shape the future of our nation and world. Currently, 2,500 of these college students enter our doors every Sunday. We want them to leave changed by the gospel and motivated to share the name of Jesus wherever God takes them next. And we hope in the years to come to reach even more of these students and connect them to healthy families in our church body who will equip them to serve Jesus for a lifetime. From the very beginning of our church, it was affirmed that we would not exist for our own comfort, but instead so that the nations could hear the good news of Jesus. 
Before our congregation was even able to pay a full salary to the senior pastor, the church stepped out in faith to sacrificially support four missionaries at the enormous sum of $10 per month. God has more than honored that courageous commitment, and He's allowed our missionaries to plant over 1,600 churches worldwide. He has grown our missions budget from $40 per month to more than half a million dollars every year. Being a part of a church that is mission-minded is easily one of the coolest and most unique experiences because I feel like there are so many churches that really don't care about missions. But when I found out that Grace was like, no, no, we're going to get this out there. Like We, we want to spread it. We want to get this as, as broad as we can in order for, other, as, for as many ears as possible to hear. I was like, heck yeah, let's do it. I'm sold. Grace Bible Church began in 1965 with just 10 families. And now, 52 years later, we are a thriving, multi-site congregation numbering more than 5,000 people. It was just 10 years ago that God stirred our hearts in a new way. He made it clear that grace could no longer effectively reach this community or send disciple-makers to the world from a single location. He laid on the hearts of our elders a multi-site strategy that expands our capacity to equip and send followers of Jesus into our community and throughout the nations. In 2008, with our location on Anderson Street overflowing, we launched the Southwood Campus. As Southwood grew from one service to two services and spreading into the foyer, we knew God was stretching our faith yet again. And so seven years after starting Southwood, we launched our Creekside Campus. In the past two years, Creekside has gone from one to two services and doubled in size. We now have 400 worshipers and 150 children each week and have even sent our first two international missions teams from Creekside. Throughout the entire history of Grace Bible Church, every time we have taken courageous steps of faith, God has rewarded our obedience by empowering us to tell even more people about His grace. God has already accomplished so much more than we asked or imagined. And yet we know that our work is not yet complete. Now is not the moment for us to congratulate ourselves or become complacent. Our community continues to grow faster than grace-filled churches are being planted. And throughout the world, there are college campuses that the body of Christ is not yet reaching. And so we believe that God is calling us to yet another step of courageous faith. In fact, we believe that we should never stop taking steps of courageous faith boldly sharing the gospel and making disciples until the day our Lord Jesus returns, until the day when every knee in heaven and on earth will bow to Jesus Christ. That biblical vision has led us to call this next season in the life of our church, Every Knee. This initiative is going to require the participation of everyone in our church family. Our primary goal is that during this season, every one of us will learn more deeply what it means to love God and worship Him from an undivided heart. That every one of us and all of us together will experience the joy of generously giving all that we have and all that we are to Jesus. We have asked the Lord to show us what kind of impact He wants us to make for His glory. This has led us to our secondary goal of raising $32 million over the next two years to reach our neighbors and the nations while continuing to pursue the ministry that we do every day. Our current budget is just under $6 million every year. 
That's what it takes to fund all the current ministry that Grace is doing. Over the next two years, this $12 million puts us over a third of the way toward funding our vision for every knee. As Bryan College Station continues to grow, we want to press forward. Our hope is that every neighbor will have the opportunity to hear and respond to God's grace in Jesus Christ and fellowship in a disciple-making community. Because of this, we are seeking to establish a permanent facility for our Creekside campus while also taking steps toward establishing our next local campus. To continue expanding our reach to our surrounding neighbors, we are seeking to raise $18 million. Throughout our entire history, Grace Bible Church has joined with like-minded followers of Jesus to share the gospel and plant churches among the nations. Within the next two years, we plan to partner with other churches and networks to plant one new church near a strategic university campus in the United States and one new church near a strategic university campus internationally. In order to provide support for these new plants, we are seeking to raise $2 million. Altogether, our commitment to continue in ministry every day, even as we stretch to reach every neighbor and every nation, totals $32 million over the next two years. We are making steps toward establishing us. We'll partner together in our church's vision as we step forward. William Carey, the great missionary pioneer, once said, Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. What we sense that God has laid on our hearts feels a bit overwhelming, but also exciting. And so first, we ask that you pray fervently. We know that apart from the movement of God's Spirit, nothing of eternal significance is accomplished in this world. So let's pray that our church would move forward in humility, in dependence, but also with boldness, because we know that the growth of His church is the longing of God's heart. Remembering God's faithfulness to us over the years, that God gave us everything. Are we honoring Him with everything uh, that He's given us? And then as we look forward and we want Him to continue to use us, will we honor Him with everything that He's going to give us in the future? Second, let's give generously from the resources God has given us, whether small or great. Everything we have belongs to Him. Allow God to grow your generosity and your faith as together we seek to follow Him. When you are giving or when you're giving whether it's time or whether it's financially I think that you're just expressing this love for God and for God's people finally celebrate boldly the vision God has given us share your enthusiasm for all that God has done and continues to do in every one of us at Grace over the next two years I look back um, and, and, and almost reenact the gospel over and over as far as what Christ has done for me and I say that I am pardoned and I am forgiven. And the more that I realize that, then the giving is more of an outflow. God wants every man, woman, and child to know Jesus, and so do we. He is our God and our King. He is worthy of our offerings and our worship. He is worthy of all that we have and all that we are. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. There you go, church. That's where we're going next. It's exciting. To, uh, to kind of help us think through in uh, really the next five weeks as we talk about... Um, 
every knee and God's generosity to us and through us. Our staff has put together a little booklet. If you're sitting on one of the, the end of one of the aisles, reach underneath there. There should be a stack. If there's not, it'll be on the other end. And uh, if you would just pick those up, pass them down. There is one for everybody. So if you're here this morning and a friend usually joins you and they're not here, grab an extra one for them. Take it home. Or if spouse is not here, uh, write your name in it because I would love for you to bring this with you every week. Uh, let, me, let me orient you to what's uh, actually inside here. The first section is uh, history and kind of some of the impact that God has had through Grace Bible Church. So, for example, you see you know, on pages 7 and 8, here are a few of the highlights of what God has done. Uh, the next page, some of the statistical impact. And then there are testimonies about, uh, from different members of Grace about the, the impact Grace has had on their lives. And then the, the outline of uh, where are we going next? What, what is this about? What is every day, every neighbor, every nation uh, what does that mean specifically? Second section is, how can I respond? Uh, what, what, how would God be calling me to participate? We've included a card, and I'll talk about the card in just a minute. And then the final section is uh, sermon notes and questions. Uh, you may not be aware, but every week, Matt and Blake and I uh, put together questions for the sermons. We post those online, so if you want to listen again or you want to go from your notes and think through the message, those are always online. But for this series, we've also put them in the book. So I want to ask you to... Uh, Take notes during the message, uh, review the questions and think through it, kind of grapple with uh, what God may be doing in your own heart. Uh, It may be that you're in a small group and you've got four or five weeks left in the semester and you're like, well, what should we study? Jump in on this. We have home groups that are studying this material. So if you're not in a group yet and you want to get in a home group or if you want to come Wednesday night, Zach will be leading uh, our Wednesday night study through this. But uh, I really want you to, to engage deeply. So think about what we're processing on a Sunday morning and then take it back. And maybe you interact in your small group or with your spouse or on your own. And think about what God may be teaching you and telling you. Now, genuinely, honestly, I hope that you do that every Sunday. Right? There's always this fear in the back of every preacher's mind that you, you, you work hard and you say all these words and then it doesn't happen. Nothing is inter- really, you know, there's not a deep interaction. But that's what I long for every week, uh, especially as we're going through this series. And, and I recognize this is a lot of information. I, I would ask you to read through it this week. There was a lot of information in the video. There's a lot in the book. So I just want to syn- synthesize or summarize for you uh, our direction and where we're going. Right? We have two big goals. The first goal is this, that God would challenge each of us to give all we are and all we have to Jesus. The primary goal is that we would be stretched personally to give all that we are and all that we have to Jesus. In my own spiritual life, there have been these moments where God has stretched me. Usually what's happened is I've been speaking with a friend and the friend has said something or I've been reading in the word and the words have just kind of really dramatically leapt off the page at me or I've listened to a message or I've read a book and God's spirit uh, reaches deeply within me and reminds me that there are things in my life that I'm holding back. And I'm called into a a deeper level of consecration to the Lord. It's revival, really, is what it is. And I've had many of those moments throughout my life and I'm praying for a church that this season would be such a moment. For absolutely each and every one of us that we would just... Go, go so much deeper in our love and commitment and consecration to Jesus Christ and making his name known among the nations. That's the primary goal of this series. The secondary goal is to raise the money that we feel like God has called us to in order to accomplish the vision that he's laid on our hearts. And, you know, you heard Blake say twice, $32 million. And I will tell you, as the elders begin to dream and pray and think about what God was calling us to, and then we begin to actually put numbers on the page, there was kind of a moments where there was 
literal, audible gasps, like, wow, really? Um, is that possible? So I, I want to break this down for you and uh, talk about uh, how we feel like God may be calling us there. The first uh, part of that 32 million that he mentioned is what we're labeling every day. That's our operating budget. So our budget annually is about $6 million. For the next two, two years, that'll be about $12 million. That will include uh, a million that we give to missionary salaries. It will include staff, uh, lighting, so we can heat and air conditioning, as well as campus outreach to the Aggies, community outreach, um, missionary care that we do, children, youth, all, all the ministries of the church, we have a budget of about $6 million a year. So $12 million of that is our annual operating budget. The second section is $18 million for Creekside and the next campus. So our desire is, in the next two years, to get Creekside built and paid for. So we don't want Creekside carrying debt for 30 years. We want Creekside to be built and paid for so that Creekside can join Anderson and Southwood to continue to multiply the church even more rapidly. You may have noticed, if you live in Bryan College Station, that it's growing around here, right? It's, it's, it's exploding. Uh, we chose the south end of town because that's a, an area of enormous growth, and there's no one else planting churches down there. But there are other areas of significant growth, right? I was driving down um, Harvey Road heading toward Highway 30, and uh, there's an enormous new apartment complex that just popped up in the last month and a half. Rellis Campus is being built. It'll have 10,000 students in addition to 65,000 at A&M and 10,000 at Blinn. I was just sent an article by one of uh, our elders that in uh, Bryan College Station, there's a higher rate of approval for uh, it was H-1B visas in Bryan College, in College Station actually, literally just College Station, than any other city in the nation. Right, there's a higher approval rate. It's, it's by like a factor of 10. So we have an incredible number, number of internationals and international students coming to this community. This little place is growing, and it is a phenomenally fertile place for Great Commission work. So we feel like God is calling us not just to establish Creekside, but to continue to plant the church. So we're going to begin looking for where that next campus might be. And then the third component is every nation. We have always been deeply committed to, na- to the nations, to missions, and that's not going to stop. Um, we're, right now we have about 80 families that we support internationally and three strategic partnerships. We sense that God is calling us to add a fourth strategic partnership, so we're looking for a key gateway city that has a university so we can plant a church next to a university and do college student ministry in one more city internationally, but also in the U.S. Now, we've never done it in the U.S. before, but it has not been uncommon through the past uh, 15, 20 years that we'll get phone calls from former members of Grace. They're saying, hey, I moved to this city, and we've got a campus, and no one is reaching the campus. Would you help us reach the campus? Would you help us plant a church? And we haven't felt like we were, in a sense, really resourced or, or really had the infrastructure to do that, but now we feel like we do. We feel like that's, you know, University family churches where you integrate generations is enormously effective in great commission work to train up and send and train up and send. So we feel like that's one of the things God's calling us to next. Uh, We also have partner churches that have a similar vision and we want to work together with them to plant the church, not just throughout the nations, but also in the U.S. and send and send and send. So one of the things I would love for you to think about as we're moving through the series, is maybe God's calling you to go. Right? Maybe God's calling you to be one of those who, maybe you go and help the next church plant, 
in Bryan College Station, or maybe you go to one of the next church plants in the U.S., or maybe you leave this country behind and you go to one of the next church plants internationally. Uh, as I've been talking to some friends uh, privately about this vision, there's one couple uh, that they said, you know, after you said that, we talked with one another, and God told us to go. We don't know where yet, and I said, that's fine because we don't either, but God's calling us to go. And so I want you to think about uh, it, not just what you give, but maybe God's calling you to go as well. Now, again, this is a, this is a huge financial goal for us to accomplish uh, the vision we feel like God's called us to. And so we created a card. If you want to pull that out, as you, as you pick up this card, uh, some of you, your hands may tremble a little bit because uh, you have what I call a PCTSD. That's a pledge card, traumatic stress disorder. This is not a pledge card. Um, if you grew up in, the, in a church where they made you fill out a pledge card and then they came to your house because you weren't fulfilling your pledge, uh, that's not going to happen. No one's going to knock on your door. This is not a pledge card. It's a commitment card. And it has really two purposes. The first purpose is for you to communicate with the leadership of the church. Let me make it clear. I have no idea what anyone in our church gives. I don't, I don't see anyone's check or credit card statements. I don't see any of that. Blake doesn't see that. Matt doesn't see that. And uh, I never will. Uh, our elders will not look through these individual cards. Ultimately, this is between you and the Lord but it's one of the ways that you can communicate to the church. So the only people that are going to open these up and look at these will be our financial team. They're the same folks who record your checks, and then they send out a receipt at tax time. So they will know, and they're going to deliver to the leadership, to our elders, the big number, so that you can communicate to our leadership. Because we believe this is where God is calling us. But we don't know. We've, we've, we've thought about it. We've prayed about it. We've had taken months and many discussions, but, but how do you know the will of God? Well, sometimes you, you open up your Bible, right? And you say, oh gosh, let me read here. Uh, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Uh, there it is. It's black and white, not negotiable. God wants me to be sanctified. But then you look at other passages and you say, well, this principle seems to apply here, but I don't know. Well, I, I, I speak with friends and family members. In other words, the abundance of counselors gives me correct application and victory in my life. Or I pray and God puts an impression on my heart. But in terms of decisions that the body of Christ makes, I think that the body of Christ has to speak. And so we are asking you, we, not, not today, I don't want you to fill anything out. We're going we're to do that later. But I just want you to begin to think and pray about maybe where God might be calling you to commit and invest. So that's the second purpose of this card. To help you work through what your contribution or participation in this initiative might be. Now, a little bit about my, my personal giving history. I was raised in a Christian home, and my parents wanted to teach me to give. So every Sunday, as we were walking out the door or of the house or walking in the door of the church, they would hand me a nickel. And they'd say, you know, you go to Sunday school, but then we're going to meet in church. We'll do church together. And as the plate passes, we want you to put that nickel into the plate. And I said, is this my nickel? I said, yeah, this is your nickel. So I can do anything I want with this nickel? Well, yes, but we want you to put it in the plate. And so, you know, once the nickel was in my hand, there were times when I didn't really want to relinquish the nickel, right? But I didn't want to uh, really, you know, frustrate or shame my parents and hold on to, you know, pockets and nickels. And so I would put it in the plate, right? I developed this habit. We'd go by, you know, and it wasn't horribly difficult because I really knew it wasn't my nickel, right? It was their nickel they gave to me. But then I got a job. I was a teenager and I started making my own money. And I remember very vividly that, moment where I had to decide, would I take some of my money that I had earned 
and give it to others. And in that process, through late teenage years, I learned to give and I learned to honestly enjoy giving. I, li- I like giving. Like I like getting missionary prayer letters and I like, uh, I used to write checks, right? I'd sit down every month and I'd write out a check. And I enjoyed that whole process and I would pray over those checks and over those missionary letters every time. But I learned through time that sometimes I'd forget and then my missionary wouldn't get his or her money. And then this wonderful thing came out. It's called electronic funds transfer, right? EFT. And so I switched everybody to EFT, which was great for all the missionaries that I support and the money I give to the church because it's always on time. It never misses. But also I never think about it. I just don't think about it anymore. Now, over the last uh, nine months to a year, I've been thinking about generosity, and I've been reading the Word, and I've been reading books, and I've felt really uh, deeply convicted. Yeah, convicted, because I've become a really lazy giver. I'm genuinely, I, I, I love giving, but I'm a, I'm a <laughs> lazy giver. I, uh, it won't surprise you if you've um, heard me preach for any length of time. I love setting goals, right? I'm a goal-setting kind of guy, right? I set, I set uh, intellectual goals about what I want to learn, and I set um, financial goals for retirement, and I set vocational goals and family goals and physical goals. What I'm going to eat, I'm, I'm going to exercise. And I realized as I was thinking through this idea that I've never set a giving goal in my life. I've never set one of those. So I've, I've been thinking and praying and I came home a few weeks ago and I, I said, Hey, Tris, what would you think? Just imagine this. If during our lifetime, we gave away this much money, <laughs> realize I've been thinking about this on my own. This is the first time I ever brought it up to my wife, who is a very generous person, but I, I threw out there a, a really big number, right? By Factors of multiples of 10 beyond what we make in a single year. And so yeah, it was a little shocking for her at first, but I said, oh, just hold on me. I'm not saying this is the number, but just imagine what God could do through us. Because as I've been reading and, and reading a lot of stories about people who grew in generosity, I, I love the joy they experience and the impact that their generosity has for the kingdom of God. And I thought, yeah, I, I want to I end my life like that. I want to do that. I want to make an investment. And so one of the benefits of this card is it, it'll stretch you a little bit. Because I looked uh, you know, at these numbers and I thought, where are we now? And truth be told, you know, we're very, very close to the bottom. But um, we could give more and I want to give more. And I want to I let the Lord stretch me as a giver. Right? So that's the purpose uh, of the card. And again, acknowledging this is uh, bigger in, uh, numerically in scope than anything we've gone after before. But God has consistently challenge the people of this church to do really risky, courageous faith kind of things. One of my favorite stories is when we bought the property and built the building just here across the street, uh, the families who were kind of the core families uh, literally signed their own names on the note, right? They put their own homes down as collateral for this church. So it may not have been as big a number, but wow, what incredible, courageous faith. And if you look at the history, not just of of our church, but the history of God's people, there consistently are these moments where God challenges his people to rise up and to give and to be stretched so that he can be worshipped. And so that's actually where I want to start this morning. I want to start in Exodus chapter 35 with an illustration from the life of Israel, 
where God stretched them to give so that he would be worshipped. This is from uh, Exodus chapter 35. And let's begin reading in verse 4. Exodus 35, verse 4. Now Moses spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, bronze, and then he goes on to list all kinds of other items of wealth that they may have had, some of which they may have received recently when they plundered the Egyptians as they, as they left. And the purpose of this contribution was to build the tabernacle or the tent of meeting so that God could be worshipped by his people as he led them through the wilderness toward the promised land. And notice the key word here. It says, whoever is of, <clears throat> excuse me, a willing heart. Right? This, is, this is not a requirement. This is not a demand. This is not mere duty or obligation. But if your heart is willing and you choose to contribute, then do so. Now turn to verse 20. And notice the response of the people. It says, then all the congregation of the sons of Israel departed from Moses' presence. Everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him came and brought the Lord's contribution for the work of the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. Then all those whose hearts moved them, both men and women, came and brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and bracelets and articles of gold. So did every man who presented an offering of gold to the Lord. Again, everyone whose heart stirred within him, everyone whose heart was moved within him, brought to the Lord. Now, here's the result. Chapter 36, verse 2. When Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every skillful person in whom the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him, to come to work to perform it. They received from Moses all the contributions which the sons of Israel had brought to perform the work in construction of the sanctuary. And they still continued bringing to him freewill offerings every single morning. And all the skillful men who were performing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work which he was performing, and they said to Moses, The people are bringing much more than enough for the construction work which the Lord commanded us to perform. So Moses Moses issued a command and a proclamation was circulated throughout the camp saying, Let no man or woman any longer perform work for the contributions of the sanctuary. Thus the people were restrained from bringing any more. For the material they had was sufficient and more than enough for all the work to perform it. See what happened? They just gave and they gave and they gave and they gave so much. It's starting, the wealth is starting to pile up and Moses finally has to issue a decree. There's a proclamation. He says, stop. He has to literally restrain the people, hold them back. Why? What, what stirred them up? Well, what stirred them up is they had just seen the greatness of God and the grace of God. Right? They've seen that God was greater than all of the greatest gods that existed on the face of the earth. Remember, all those, all those plagues that God sent through Moses and Aaron were direct attacks to humiliate the false gods of Egypt. And they were. They were humiliated. And they were destroyed. And Pharaoh was embarrassed. And his army was completely wiped out through the Red Sea. They had seen God's power. And in God's power, he had also shown them his grace Because they cried out for deliverance. They said, Lord, rescue us. We're slaves. And in his grace and kindness and demonstration of his power, he brought them out of slavery and into freedom. And so the natural response for them was they wanted to give to the Lord. And they wanted the Lord to be worshipped. And so they built a tabernacle for the worship of the Lord. And their worship became a witness to the nations. 
And the nations realized as they worshiped their God that he's not like any other God that exists on the face of the earth. And as I read that story, I ask myself, when was the last time that my heart was stirred up like that? When was my heart stirred up that I just, I just had to worship? I just had to stand. I just had to give. I just ha- I had to respond to God's greatness and his grace. When was your heart stirred like that? Has it ever been stirred like that? And then I ask myself, well, if not, and if it hasn't been stirred recently, well, why not? Is there something in me that's, that's holding me back from giving all that I am and all that I have to the Lord? Or if I can ask it differently, why should we long to become generous and joyful givers? Why should we long to become people like this? Let me uh, first give you a couple of wrong answers. There's a couple bad ideas. First, because God needs my money. God doesn't need your money. God is going to accomplish his work of redemption among the nations, with or without us, because he is sovereign. He just wants to give us the privilege of participating. It says in Acts chapter 17, one of uh, Paul's sermons, uh, God, who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God has made everything. God owns everything. He doesn't need my individual particular contribution to things. That's not why I give. Second, because then God will make me rich. That's really, really bad theology. You'll hear it a lot, but it's really dumb. It's just not true. Let me give you an illustration. Jesus, John the Baptist, Paul, Peter, James, John, Matthew, all died persecuted and impoverished. They gave all, but the result wasn't that they ended up wealthy. God might make you really wealthy or he might not, but it's not necessarily going to be a direct correlation to how much you give. Third, because I'll be more likely to go to heaven. A lot of people have a theology that my, my good hopefully will outweigh my bad, and one of the really good things I can do is, is be real generous. But that's not how salvation works at all. God gives first to us, and he doesn't expect us to give anything back in return for the gift of eternal life. It is genuinely a free gift. He says, I'll remove that debt of your sin, in spite of the fact that you're strangers and aliens and enemies and you have fought against me, in spite of the fact that you're sinful and you have rejected me, I just want to give you a free gift. That's the nature of grace. That's the grace of God. And it, and it really is, in a sense, an affront to him if we think that we can contribute to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. And so I want to tell you, if you have never reached out first and received a free gift from God that is eternal life in Jesus, then don't, don't even think right now about what you want to give back to God. Start by receiving. Okay? Start by receiving freely the gift of eternal life in Jesus. Now, fourth, because God will love me more. Right? Most of you have probably figured out that you can't earn eternal life, but sometimes it still runs through our minds. But God will love me more if I pray more, if I read my Bible more, if I memorize more scripture, if I share my faith more, then God will love me more, and that's not true either. It's impossible for God to love you more. He loves you completely. Right now. Even though he knows all of the brokenness in every single member of the body of Christ, he loves us fully and completely and forever in Jesus. Does he want us to grow and mature, be disciples who learn to joyfully obey? Absolutely. But that doesn't make him 
love us more, nor does he love us less when we sin. He always loves us completely in Jesus. So, why should we want to become joyful givers? First reason. Because generous and joyful giving is actually, in and of itself, an act of worship, and God is worthy of our worship. Generous, joyful giving is, in and of itself, an act of worship. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 4, and as you're turning there, let's address the very simple question, what is worship? I think that sometimes we tend to get kind of reductionistic in our definition. We think, okay, worship is what we just did. Right? This was worship. We came in and we sang for a few minutes, and that's worship. But biblically, worship is a, is a really expansive concept. Uh, the most important word and kind of fundamental word for worship in Hebrew means literally to fall down, right? Flat on your face. To be, to be on the ground, on your face before the Lord is the fundamental word for worship. And the idea is this. If, if I am worshiping God, then I am down low before him, which symbolizes that he is above me. Right? He is he's greater than I am. I have exalted him. Or as the connotation of the English word, worship means worth-ship. I am declaring the worth or the value of God, specifically that he is worth more than me. He is more valuable than I am. And if I love him most, he's more valuable than anything else in my life. So, simple definition of worship is this. Anything that we say or do that declares the supreme value of God. Right? Anything we say or do that declares that God is most valuable to us. Now, Read here Philippians chapter 4 and verse 15. Paul says, You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even at Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Now, the book of Philippians is essentially a, a missionary prayer letter. Paul's writing to one of his contributing churches and he is saying, Thank you for participating in prayer and finances with my ministry of taking the gospel to other cities and other nations. But I want you to notice in particular how he describes the financial contribution that they make. Verse 18. But I have received everything in full and I have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Don't you love that description, right? It's, it's hearkening back to the, the Old Testament sacrificial system where anything that they brought in worship was like a sweet smell coming up before the Lord. In fact, uh, it, most of the times that Israel brought an animal sacrifice, it wasn't for the expiation or the payment of sin. It was a free will offering that was to, to please the heart of God in worship. So as it says in Exodus 29, you shall offer up and smoke the whole ram on the altar It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to the Lord. It comes up like the sweet smell. It lights up the senses of God because you've made a sacrifice or you've sacrificed something valuable which shows that you value God more. And Paul says, your financial contribution to my ministry is like an incense offering. It's like the smoke of an offering. It's a savory thing. It just, it lights me up. I love it. So Paul's worship was to go gather more worshipers. And the Philippians' worship was to help Paul go gather more worshipers. And both of those were this sweet smell, this aroma 
before the Lord. So, generous, joyful giving in and of itself is actually an act of worship throughout the Bible. And the question then that I ask myself is this. So, uh, how much do I really value God? Right? If worship is to value God, and I want to value him as supreme, do I really value him as supreme? Do I, do I love him most? Or do, do I love him and? Are there other things that are in my life that compete for my affections? And Jesus once said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. Jesus was asked, what's, what's most important? So, well, loving God. What do you mean by that? <laughs> love him with your heart, with your soul, with your mind, with your strength. Love him with absolutely everything that you are and everything that you have. There's nothing more important than this. This is most valuable. And I, every time I read Matthew 22, I say to myself, I, I want to love God like that. Do I love God like that? And how do I know if I love God like that? How do I know? Well, you know, one of the most clear ways that I learn how much I love the Lord is how I feel about my money and what I do with my money. So you're saying to me, Brian, God wants my money. I'm saying, no, that's not at all what I'm saying. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is God wants your heart, and he wants absolutely all of your heart. And one of the ways that you know and that God knows where your heart is is by how you feel about your material earthly wealth. As Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Whatever you set your affections on, that's what you love. And what you love is what you worship. You worship what you love and you love what you worship. And how do I know? Well, one of the clearest indicators is, in fact, what I think and feel and do with my money. So God is very concerned about our money. Why? Because he's very concerned about our hearts. Not because he needs our money, which he does not at all. He owns everything. He made everything. He doesn't need it, but he wants all of your heart. And so throughout the Bible, you see at least 2,000 verses that talk about money. 40% of Jesus' parables talk about money. Jesus talked more about money than he talked about heaven and hell. Why? Because it's such a clear indicator of the status of my heart. Now, I will tell you, I expect that some of you and hopefully all of you feel uncomfortable at some point in the next five weeks as we talk about money. Uh, because this is, it, it's meddling. And, and I know you, you, know, you may even be saying to yourself this morning, well, Brian, it's, that other sermon series you did on prayer, Lord's Prayer, that was great. Because you can mess with me on my prayer life, and I don't mind if you challenge me to share my faith more or to read the Bible more, but this is way too personal. Let's not talk about money on a Sunday morning. You're out of bounds. Say, yeah, you really need to hear this. Right? Because it's such a clear indicator of the status of our hearts. Because sacrifice that pleases God always involves some level of sacrifice. Worship, worship. When we worship, it's sacrifice. At some level, I have to say, I value God more than I value this thing or this person or this possession. There's always some element of sacrifice. So let me illustrate for you. Um, In American culture, and I think it's true in almost every culture in the world, when a man wants to uh, ask a woman to be his wife, then he or his family, they can't show up empty-handed. Right? They have to bring along a gift. The traditional gift in America and in a lot of other cultures is a ring. And that ring usually requires some significant element of sacrifice to purchase. 
Uh, particularly because most people get married pretty young. And so, you know, they're, they're, they don't have a lot of stored wealth. Uh, when I decided I wanted to marry Tracy, I, I bought her a ring and I had to sacrifice to buy that ring. There are other things that I couldn't purchase or activities I couldn't participate in so that I could buy that ring. And that ring was the most valuable square inch of material that I'd ever <laughs> purchased in my life. And I will tell you though, it didn't really feel like sacrifice. Because I wanted to give it to her so much. I have never enjoyed giving a gift more than I enjoyed giving that ring. It was awesome. Now, I could have cut corners. I could have cut corners. I I could have offered her something else. And she would have said yes, no matter what I offered. Because uh, I'd already proved to her that she should marry me. So, I'm going to give you an illustration. Um... I could have gone to her and said, hey, Tristan, I want you to marry me. She would say yes, but then she would be expecting a gift. And I'd say, here's the deal, honey. I know how frugal you are. And, and you know how frugal that is cheap. I am. And we want to live frugally together for the kingdom of God, right? I mean, I could spiritualize the whole thing. So instead of getting you a ring, I decided I would give you a zip tie, right? And um, the, these are awesome. You will love this because they're super durable, right? And if you decide you don't like, you know, this color any longer, then you can switch to a different color, right? If, this is a really wise purchase and a way to show that I love you. So here, I want you just to put this on. Here you go. Just see. And the other thing is I didn't have to figure out what size you wore, right? I just, I just, here you go. And you don't want that thing sticking out there. So let me just trim that off here. here. Now, Go show that to your friends. <laughs> Probably would have been a bit disappointing, right? Not maybe the most appropriate gift for the moment. I will tell you the truth. I had a friend in college, no names being named here, but he, senior year, he decided that he wanted to marry his girlfriend. And so he bought a ring and he was excited to ask her to marry him. So he showed several of us the ring and he held out the ring and uh, no, no kidding at all. He held out the ring like this and we all went and we leaned in. We leaned in because we couldn't see the diamond. Now I'm not saying guys that you have to buy the biggest diamond. Some ladies don't even want a diamond. They want a different kind of ring and ladies, I'm not saying you should expect a huge diamond, But literally, we couldn't see the diamond. I mean, literally could not see the diamond. We're all leaning in, like, you know, magnifying glasses, whatever. Like, okay, there's a shaving of carbon in there somewhere, right? And I'm thinking, this is not good. This is not good at all. This is not what she will be expecting. So he went and he asked her, and I said, hey, how'd it go? She she said yes. Yeah, she said yes. I go, what'd she think about the ring? He goes, uh... She's kind of disappointed. I'm like, of course she's disappointed, man. I couldn't even see it. We couldn't see it. We couldn't even see the thing, right? And it's, again, not that you, I'm not making the point you got to buy a huge ring, but it wasn't an appropriate gift for the moment. Why? Because genuine sacrifice that please, or, or worship that pleases the Lord at some level includes sacrifice. We say no to something else so that we can say yes to the Lord. Because when we give and we give generously and joyfully, that is an act of worship in and of itself. And God is worthy of our best. God's worthy of our best. God's worthy of our most. God's worthy of our highest because that's who God is. I want you to turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 4. In Revelation, chapter 4. If I can get Trey to come up, we're going to close in a song just after this. Revelation, chapter 4. 
going to give you one more vocabulary word. It's the word worthy in Greek. If you want to write this in your notes, and I want you to circle it in these passages. Worthy in Greek means to balance the scales. So Paul will say, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. That is, uh, live your life in a way that corresponds to your salvation in Jesus Christ. That's, that's the only appropriate way to live, live in a manner worthy. And we, we need to worship or declare God's worth in a manner that's worthy of who he is, balance the scales. And what does that mean? Well, we give all that we are and all that we have, not to earn his favor, but it's all that we have to give. Does it actually balance out? No, but it's a good place to start. Because he's worthy. He is worthy. Chapter 4, verse 11 Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Because you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. Why did Israel worship in the wilderness? Because they'd seen the power of God. And we see the power of God. God, you created all things. The universe is is vast and seems to be expanding, and we try to create better telescopes to reach to its edge, but we cannot. And then we look at our small little corner of the universe and we see beauty and design and intelligence on this place. And we say, God, you're amazing. We can't create out of nothing. Only you have created out of nothing. We can barely create out of something. And yet, God, you're powerful and awesome. And we worship you. Chapter 5, verse 9. Worthy, there it is again, circle it. Worthy are you to take the scroll. And to break its seals because you were slain and you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth. Israel was rescued and redeemed from slavery in Egypt. We've been rescued and redeemed from slavery to sin and death. We have life forever. God has rescued us and God has made this wonderful creation. And why did he make it? Because he was lonely? No, he made it for us. To be blessed. He put us in this beautiful physical place with physical bodies that could enjoy this world and could experience pleasure in this world and be in relationship with him and perfected relationship with one another. He has given us life and breath and all things, as Paul said. So what is worthy worship? It's all that I am and all that I have. Bill Bright once said, you can't outgive God. Why? Because he gave first and he gave not only most, he gave best. He gave the most valuable thing in the universe, which is the life of the eternal Son of God. So what's an appropriate and adequate way to begin to show him that I love him? I I consecrate everything to him. Because everything that I have is a gift from him. That's worthy worship. So as we close, I'd like for us to take just a moment to worship I want you to stand up. Uh, Trey's going to lead us in uh, one final song. And let's lift up our voices loud. Just because God is worthy. Worthy of our best, worthy of our highest, worthy of our most. Let's worship together. Father, I pray that we would be people who hold absolutely nothing back from you. Because you're worthy. You're worthy of of all that we are and all that we have. And I pray, Father, that in, in these days and weeks that come that uh, you would create a fresh revival in each and every one of us. I pray that you'd reveal to us the things that we're we're clinging to, those idols of our heart, that we would learn to release them just because we've seen this fresh vision and reminder of your greatness and your grace in our lives.
Father, we thank you that all of the, the riches that we have, we've received through Jesus. Let us lift him up above all. His, his value is supreme for everything else we have in our lives. May he be worshiped and glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Let me remind you, grab an extra copy if you have a friend or family member who wasn't here. And uh, we'll enjoy worship together next week again.